My name is uh, Eric Ash. I'm honored and grateful to be the pastor here at Grace and happy to be with you in worship uh, as we continue the, to worship in this epiphany season. I want to make sure everyone got a bulletin as you came in. There's lots of announcements going on, lots of stuff happening at church in these next couple months. And So check out the, the bulletin announcement, the e-news that comes out midweek, and check out our website. Uh, perhaps you're one of those technological people. You can get the website if the Wi-Fi is working, fingers crossed, okay? And you can get the Wi-Fi, uh, the website right on your phone. It's mobile-friendly, and there's a place, Worship Services, that you can click on, and you can get a mobile bulletin. You can sign in there. You can give. You can do your prayer requests, all that kind of thing. So make sure you share your prayer requests. It's my honor and our, and our staff's honor to be praying for you uh, during the week. We take that very seriously and, and love to be praying with and for you. Make sure you visit the website as well. There's a new place on the website called The Hub. Ken, can you bring up The Hub screen there? Next. There you go. So if you're looking to do anything at all, um, to sign up for anything for an event, to volunteer for anything, to fill out even forms or that are from the office that are coming, The Hub is your place. Register for events. Like right now, we're doing Family Promise sign-ups. Our host week is February 17th through the 24th. You can go to the Hub, click on Serve, and you can fill out right there Family Promise and pick a date to volunteer and what you want to volunteer for. We're trying to centralize everything. So if anything you need to sign up for ever, the Hub is your friend. Okay, That's what we're trying to do. And you know, our mission here is to, to create a community where all people can experience God's transforming grace. And as we, as we move through the big serve here in 2019 into our community, we're, we're kind of maybe even tweaking that a little bit, creating communities where everybody, where all people can experience God's transforming grace. And we took a first step on Friday night doing that with our, with our Pinecrest Elementary School Partnership. They were having their winter wonderland celebration on Friday night out at the, the football field, and, and they had some vendors there. They had blow-up things. They had this great thing where the kids got in this Velcro suit, and you could throw them against the wall, and they stuck there. Parents, you might want to look into that for like a timeout thing, okay? We just had a lot of fun. There was food and games and music and and uh, it was good to be with the teachers and the staff and the parents and the kids of Pinecrest Elementary. We had about 10 of us come out and show up, and many of them were youth as well, but many adults. And so, you know, it's our first step of our engagement and our, and our relationship with them. They, they made an ask. They had kind of an emergency on Wednesday and said, we need 10 volunteers. And I said, we're going to put it out there. And we showed up with 12 volunteers. So... We're going to under-promise and over-deliver with our friends in Pinecrest. What can we help you with is our, is our word, our language. And when they say we need help with this, we're going to show up, okay? So thank you to you guys who showed up. It was a really great evening. It was fun. Had a lot of good things. I got, got a Pinecrest t-shirt, and I got some other stuff happening, so it was really a lot of fun. And As we turn towards this morning... You know, I think practically everybody, if you've been in the church or you've not been in the church, you know about the, the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of become a, a euphemism in our society, not even, so you don't even have to have a church background. It, it transcends church and has become more of a cultural reference. And, 
And I'll just be honest, I had a magic trick ready for you today. Well, more of a science experiment. And I've been working on it at home, and then I got all the stuff from Amazon, and well, I got almost all the stuff, and then I had to tweak it, and I practiced, and I practiced, and I practiced, and never really came out like it was supposed to. So I was supposed to you know, take this, this water with a little bit of clear stuff added in, and you pour it in another glass with another little bit of sciencey stuff into it, and it turned into wine. Well, more like a really bad rosé kind of wine. And you put it into another glass, and it was to turn back into water. Didn't quite work out. But it turned into a great sermon illustration because things that we try to do under our own power. We try to, we try to copy what Jesus does, and we, we end up falling short of what Jesus accomplishes. But you know, this wasn't a, wasn't a magic trick. It wasn't a science experiment for Jesus when he turned this water into wine. It was Jesus coming and, and filling a dark place with his light. It ends up being Jesus' kind of coming out party. It's his first sign that's depicted in, in the book of John. And, and John depicts six more signs after that. But today we're going to talk about turning water into wine. And then we're going to circle back into when we try to do things under our own power and see what happens when God gets involved. Again, welcome to worship. Would you stand and sing as we continue to worship? So we're continuing our series, Illuminate, uh, this Epiphany series, started January 6th, and we'll go up until we enter the Lenten season on March 3rd, looking where Jesus shines light in the darkness of, of our scripture stories, but then also making the jump of where is Jesus now shining light in the darkness of our world? Today is, is, is the third epiphany. Some theological traditions, some denominational traditions will use, like we do, the, the encounter with the wise men as, as the epiphany story. And as the epiphany, remember, is, is a divine manifestation. And so we as the Western church, we see this, the wise men coming to meet the baby Jesus as this epiphany, this season starter. And, and other churches use the baptism of Jesus, which we looked at last week. And still others will use this story of Jesus turning the water into wine, his first miracle, his first sign as an epiphany starting event. It's the first sign of seven total. And, and interestingly enough, it's John is the only gospel writer who talks about this particular miracle. And you can Google the, the other seven and see what they are. They go from chapter 1 all through chapter 11 of John. But we're going to read this text, and I want you to kind of put your thinking ears on, put your biblical thinking, remembering ears on. And as we read through John chapter 2, beginning on verse 1, I want you to think about what jumps out at you. Something that reminds you of something of a scripture story, or maybe even something that kind of just intrigues you that you want to know more about. Here's the word from John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they don't have any more wine. And Jesus replied, woman, what does that have to do with me? My time has not yet come. His mother told the servants, 
do whatever he tells you. And nearby there were six stone jars used for the Jewish cleansing ritual, each able to hold about 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they did. They filled them up to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some from it and, and take it to the head waiter. And they did. The head waiter tasted the water that they had become wine, and he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the groom and said, everyone serves the good wine first, and then bring out, they bring out the second-rate wine only when the guests are drinking freely. You kept the good wine until now. This was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So what did you hear? What stood out at you? Can, can, if you can go back to the, the first page there. What jumped out at you in that text? Things you heard before or want to know more about? Wondering? Wasn't his time, okay. We're going we're gonna to come to that one. Yep, good one. Well, in the first line, there's a couple things right there. The third day, that one right in front of us. Third day, kind of alluding to something that's going to happen on the third day that's important with Jesus rising from the dead. Anything else? It's okay if not. I mean, the first service got a lot more than you did, but... All right, well, let's dig in. We're going to do a little different this time. I, I don't usually preach expositorily, so we're going to look through verse by verse. And So put your seatbelts on, so here we go. First, we have the third day. We've already talked. It's an allusion to what is Jesus is coming, the resurrection, and the new life that is coming for us on the third day. In fact, in the Scripture, it plays a both role, because if we look back and we go to a couple uh, chapters before, the first day here is in chapter 1 when Jesus is baptized. John calls that the first day. And then he says the next day, and Jesus was standing with John's disciples, and he began to recruit disciples. And then chapter 2 says on the third day. So it's literally a use of a literary telling the story, but it's also an illusion of something that is yet to come. Okay, then we're at a wedding, and, and these aren't normal weddings. The wedding feast in the first century was a week-long event that involved the whole village. And there was great food and great wine. There was all kinds of festivities. The, the, the groom and his guys would actually kind of go and, and kidnap the bride-to-be and bring her to the celebration, but it was, was filled with some symbolism and, and wonderful parties. Hence, running out of wine was a big deal. Okay. Big deal. It's in Cana, which is about six miles from Nazareth, where Jesus and his family was living. Six miles, they could travel about 20 miles on a day's trip, so six miles is two to three hour walk. Not very far. You could see Cana from uh, the town of Nazareth. And then I find it really interesting, the first encounter when, when Jesus' mom comes, whom in fact John never uses the word Mary as, John, as Jesus' mom. He always calls her Jesus' mother. 
It's an interesting thing. And then Jesus says, woman. Now, we could read this with our 21st century eyes and my sarcastic nature and read it in a way, very different way. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. I'm too busy playing Xbox, you know, get away from me, you know. I know I've graduated from college, but I don't want to get a real job yet. We could read it through those 21st century eyes, but it's really very simple. It was very common for, uh, for men to respond to a woman that way. So it's just woman. What does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. We're going to see in just a few minutes his time coming and how it correlates to this story, but it's not yet. Jesus doesn't want it to be yet. And then good old Mary says, she kind of just brushes it off, says to servants, do whatever he says. She has so much confidence in what Jesus is going to do, that just do what he says he's going to do. And there's these six stone jars that are used for Jewish ritual cleaning, the cleaning the hands. Now, these were unusually large, and perhaps John is using a bit of hyperbole here. They're 20 to 30 gallons, which would be, this is 150 to 180 gallons of water or wine. Then, So they're very large for purification vessels, but I'm thinking that John is probably using that to create some more intensity to this miracle rather than just, you know, he turned a couple of uh, small bottles of water into small bottles of wine. That's not as big a deal, right? So they had these purification vessels that people would wash their hands in preparation for the party. And he says to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they fill it to the brim. And then he says, draw some and take it to the head waiter. Now, this is the first miracle. This is the first sign. There's no, like, great wonderful prayer that we have recorded that Jesus says to the Father, the Creator God, and invoking the Holy Spirit. There's no, you know, there's no bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, you know, magic kind of thing. I mean, there's, there's nothing. There's no red carpet, trumpets. He just says, fill it up and take it to the head waiter. It's almost reminiscent of last week with the baptism when he kind of just rolls in with the crowd and is watching the crowd and he just goes into the water. There's no triumphantness. There's no red carpet. It's just Jesus with the crowd. And they take it to the head waiter, and the head waiter doesn't know what's going on. So, so who does know what's happening? Think back in the story. Who knows what just happened? Somebody said Jesus, right? The servants. His mother. She, I, don't, I don't know, it doesn't say if she stayed there or not, but I would think she kind of knows what's going to happen. You know, you're going to listen to me. <laughs> Who else? The disciples. And the disciples there, there's, uh, there's not the whole gang yet. It's just, uh, we, uh, according to the reading, we have five disciples there. Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and one who is unnamed. So we have these five disciples, Jesus, his mother, and some servants. We don't know exactly how many servants. They're the only ones that know of what has happened. That's kind of, you know, if this is the first sign in the whole gospel, it's kind of like really covert, right? I mean, 
So the head waiter doesn't know what's going on. So the head waiter and, and the groom and the bride and the parents and the guests, they have no idea what has just happened, the miraculous event that has just happened. For all they know, you know, Jesus and the disciples went down to Total Wine and got some crates and came back, you know. But he tastes the wine and he says, usually people bring out the good wine first and then... And then when people are drinking freely, we bring out two-buck chuck, okay? <laughs> but you did the opposite. You brought out the good wine after everyone has been drinking freely. So this is the first sign, the, the first divine manifestation, this epiphany where these moments from heaven intersect with the moments of life on earth, and, and life on heaven comes down to life on earth and for John, this was the basis of his, his, his gospel was, were these signs. And the purpose is he wanted people to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. We see that in verse 11. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Over and over and over in the gospel of John, the purpose is for people to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So we've been talking in our series about the light shining in the darkness, and, and uh, we've been talking about this idea of signals and guides, and, and that we see signals, and, and, and we sometimes are signals, and we, we guide people to Jesus. The light, the, the star guided the, the wise men to Jesus, and then uh, John the Baptist guided people to Jesus, the Lamb of God. And, and right now, water into wine is a signal. And, and the ones who experience the servants and disciples, they're going to go and they need to tell what they've seen about this sign. And, and Mary, Mary in this is a great guide. Mary says, do whatever he tells you to do. You know, she could have gotten a little argument with Jesus and, you know, tried the, you know, old Jewish mom guilt kind of into Jesus thing. But she doesn't. She says, just do whatever he tells you to do. So not everybody saw this, so now it's Mary and the servants and, and disciples that have to go and tell the story, and then they have to guide them back to Jesus. So I want you to imagine for just a moment that uh, the, the wine in this story, the wine that is filling up these large jars, is God's presence. And the emptiness of these jars beforehand is our emptiness. The emptiness that we all try to fill with all kinds of different stuff. Or at least I try to fill with all kinds of different stuff. Usually food. That's my go-to. I know it doesn't look like it, but it is. So we try to fill our emptiness with something. And, and so then think about the water that was put into these jars as what we try to fill it up with. And we may be able to fill it up to the brim, just like the servants did, but we still feel empty. There's still something missing. Peggy was telling me uh, this last week that uh, January 12th, they've done some research now, January 12th is known as Quitter's Day. You make a New Year's resolution. Have you guys experienced this at the gym? Yes, okay. Resolutions are over, right, Joey? <laughs> Quitter's Day is January 12th, so people can make it. I don't know exact percentages, but most people make it to about the 12th, and then they fall. And I kind of think about this. When, when 
the water has been filled to the brim. That's our attempt to kind of fill that void. And, and at some point, we hit January 12th in our lives. And we can't make it happen anymore. And we need Jesus to come and turn that water into wine. So I just want to take us to the end of John and look at this and see how this plays out. It's very interesting. We have the very beginning of John, and we have the, toward the very end of John. John chapter 19, verse 25. See if this sounds familiar. Jesus' mother, we don't call her Mary, Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So we know that John knows how to spell Mary. Um, calls everybody else Mary except for Mary's son, Jesus' mother. Mary Magdalene stood near the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. Now, the disciple whom he loved is John, the writer of this gospel. Okay? John did not have the gift of humbleness. If you call yourself the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, you're not a very humble guy. Okay? saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son, meaning John. And then he looked to the disciple and he said, Here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So Jesus knew he was nearing the end, and he was tying up his family business, making sure that his mother was cared for. But he uses that same word, woman. The same very word he used in chapter 2, as we see and are introduced to Mary. And after this, knowing that everything was already completed, in order to fulfill the scriptures, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was nearby. So the soldiers soaked a sponge in it, placed it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. And when he had received the sour wine, Jesus says, It is completed. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his life. Just very interesting, these bookends of John. And these scenes involving, involving wine. We see the word woman coming. We, and the first part of John, we see, my time has not yet come. And John 19, it is finished. It's a foretaste of, of the wedding feast for all of us that is to come, where we will we'll feast with Jesus in good food and good wine. And it's very interesting that Jesus in that first part uses these, these old system of purification jars. These jars that are meant to cleanse us for a one-time use. Kind of like wet naps of Mosaic law, okay? We cleanse for one-time use. But he then turns, takes that water used for one-time use and turns it into wine, God's presence, representing God's presence and the cleansing of oneself forever. Takes the old law of Moses and replaces it with his law of love and cleansing forever. Friends, Jesus, Jesus is the good wine at the end of the party 
when we've all been drinking freely. When we've spent our life drinking freely, the great wine of Jesus is there in full to the brim for us. Today, I want you to know God is with you. Jesus is present with you. The point, if nothing else today, is that Jesus' light shines in the darkness of our emptiness. So I have three questions for you today. Where are your jars empty? Where are your jars empty? Where have you tried to fill them up with water of your own effort to no avail? And and, and where do you need Jesus to be present with you by changing your dirty water into his miraculous wine? Friends, whatever that is, In the words of Mary, bring it to Jesus and do whatever he tells you to do. In a moment, as the band plays, we're going to open the altar. They're always open, but I just want to remind you that they're going to be open. And Last week we celebrated the the, the idea of, in the, the sacrament of baptism, we had our fonts in different places. And these are available to all of us all the time. They're sacred things but they're not off limits to us. So anytime in worship, you know, if you want to come and touch the baptismal waters and, and grab a stone, the stones are still here. Maybe you didn't get a chance to do that last week. Someone told me last week, you know, that was really great and I really wanted to sit there with my hands in the water for a time, but there was a line behind me. Well, there's the baptismal's going to be back there in the back. This one up here, you want to come up front during some time, come any time during worship, and there is no line, and you can just wade in the water. We're going to open up the altars during the song, and you can come and pray. It's a wonderful place to pray. You can pray where you are, too, and if you want me to pray with you, I'd be honored to do that. Lift a hand, otherwise we'll, we'll leave you alone to pray by yourself or with one another. The band's going to use this song to close us called Living Hope by Phil Wickham. And the words are just tremendous. So I want to give a little preview and and just encourage you to pay attention to the words as we sing. The first verse says, How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. And get this. Then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And my favorite verse is verse 3. Then came the morning, the third day. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Can you imagine that? Jesus on the bed, on the altar, in the tomb, in this body that lies still for three days is beginning to move, beginning to have life again. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory.
wonderful words. So we're going to come to the altar, and it's our opportunity to open up the shadows of our emptiness in our souls and let Jesus' light shine down in them and to illuminate them into new life. So come and pray and, and, and stand and sing this out boldly and pay attention to the other words because they're just as good. Sing out boldly and let's make this our prayer and praise to Jesus, our living hope. Amen and amen. Would you stand as we close in song?